But what we're finding as we double click into those businesses, Dom, is that we're finding that they've tended to stray a long way off the reason they were built, the reason they were made, and that is adversely affecting their profitability. So a lot of the the external factors that are affecting it now are that if you're not concentrating on your core business, chances are you're in you're in a heap of hurt. Last week on the podcast, which was episode two of our Resisting Recession special, I met with ABM legend Robert Norum, and in our chat, I learned about his new concept called Full Stack ABM. We discussed how to implement it as a strategy, why it's accessible to all, and ultimately why your company can benefit from this approach to resisting recession. Now that episode is in the feed, so if you missed it, you can go back and find it with ease or just go to marketingdifference.co.uk and you will find it there also with some bonus material in the show notes. This week on Marketing Trek, I'm seeking the consultant's view to how marketers should be helping their companies resist recession. And I'm doing it with Peter Russell-Smith, who's managing partner at the Big Business Agency. Peter, by the way, has been particularly helpful to me in my own business. He's taken several of our own senior leaders through a go-to-market or GTM coaching program. He's helped me to shape our corporate strategy, and he's also given me quite a lot of coaching. He's super knowledgeable, very straight talking and out of the heart of Oz. But he's also one of those people who's quite annoying, actually, because when he tells you you need to do something and you choose to take a different path, well, he's usually proven right in the end and you wish you'd listened harder and acted sooner. So today, listen hard and take his advice because Peter knows what he's talking about. Now, tech and B2B as a whole is facing an uphill battle right now. Rising staff costs, labor shortages, banking failures, funding slowdowns, and sluggish decision-making in customers too. But you're not going to move your business forward by standing still and waiting for this slowdown to pass. So pin your ears back, get your notebooks out, and hear what Peter has to say. You will not be wasting your time. Hello, Peter. How are you today? Good, Dom. Very good. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. I'm looking forward to our chat. Maybe to start with, you'd like to tell us a little bit about your company and your current role. So the Big Business Agency was developed and built basically to help technology and software CEOs improve their operational performance and enhance their enterprise value, really from two perspectives. The first perspective is as they look to get external investment and then obviously to drive EBITDA for private equity investors. So my role in the business is I am the managing partner, and I'm fortunate enough to lead a team of lawyers, management accountants, data scientists, and marketers to help solve some complex problems associated with how you maintain growth, particularly in um, recessionary times. We're all probably going to exit FY23, um, topping out at about 1.1 million this year. So the business is, uh, is going well. Great. So, I mean, you're literally right at the vanguard of dealing with like the financial situation out there with the companies you're working with, right? Yes, absolutely. It's actually been fueling our growth. So we started the business in the pandemic and ever since the the tide turned, uh, the business has been improving. So we've got some really complex problems to solve and uh, we're solving them for for tech and software CEO. So it's it's very good for us. Tell me a little bit about you. Obviously, it sounds like a very exciting role to be doing, but you've got to have quite a lot under your belt to do it. How did you get to where you are today? Good question. I mean, my, my journey's really had three key phases. I started out in Asia uh, as an engineer, actually, installing DDC and PLC and technical computerized equipment into manufacturing plants, mostly around oil and gas, food and beverage, and steel mills. Then I got 
I guess, railroaded into sales and basically spent the middle part of the career building a sales and marketing experience again in Asia, but mostly with North American companies, Dom, mostly with companies like Oracle, PeopleSoft, et cetera. So larger enterprise style software companies. So most of the customer base in that instance was global enterprise customers. So a lot of experience with very large enterprises and also with government. And I guess the last 20 years I've been running and transitioned into a CEO P&L role and basically have been running technology companies principally for private equity investors. So the likes of TPG, Vista, HG. So I got a really good understanding of what private equity investors want from their software investments. And, and basically I'm applying that skill with the team and, and the broader context of the skills that you need as a CEO to keep growing your EBITDA. So yeah, fairly long journey to get here and fairly complex journey, but um, it's really good to have all the parts come together uh, to apply to our customers. Well, let's get stuck into the meat of today's subject then, because according to The Economist's we're not technically in recession yet, but I have to say, being in market at the moment, you wouldn't know it because it really feels like there's a big freeze on. Things are definitely really tough at the moment. What challenges are you seeing in the market right now? Like if I view and answer the question from my customer's perspective, their biggest issue is rising staff costs. So their staff costs are rising faster than they can raise their prices. Now, the reason that's such an issue for B2B software companies is because the staff and people costs make up over 70% of their entire OPEX. So there's a high degree of sensitivity to changes in staff costs. So at that level, you need to be able to work out how you can raise your prices. And that's one of the services that we've been offering. In fact, there's also a labor shortage associated with this. So there's a few factors that have created a labor shortage for software engineers, developers, and you know technical and software people. In fact, the US Labor Department predicted that by 2030, there'll be 18 million shortfall in software engineers, which basically translates for software companies to about $8.2 trillion in lost revenue that they can't execute. So it's a really, really big challenge right now. That's set against the backdrop, of course, of big tech shedding jobs. And of course, the headlines have been about how many jobs have been shed. But if you look at how many people they've been onboarding, I guess it's a fraction, right? Yeah. I mean, they all got over their skis in the pandemic and started believing their own PowerPoint presentations. So they, they overhide too much. So if you look at the long-term trend rather than uh, the short-term trend, the long-term trend is a continuing growth and acquisition of capability and capacity to keep fueling their, their business. So it's a COVID-related issue that I think has a short-term effect. And presumably QE plays into this as well, that we've had 10 years of artificially low everything and there has to be a hangover, you know, whenever you have a party like that, I guess. Basically with free cash, everyone could do a whole lot of things. They could give away product just to gain, gain market share, gain customers. I mean, that party ended very abruptly. And so there's quite a few tech companies that will go to the wall over the next three years as they, you know, their valuations they raised capital on two, three years ago they're never, ever going to get those valuations anywhere near them again. So there's a real question mark as to their long-term viability. So so they have to ensure that they go back to their basics, you know, go back to their knitting, go back to the reason they were started and, and basically rebuild their businesses. So there's a fair amount of disruption to occur. But the long-term trend, if you look again at the long-term trend in technology, uh, it continues to rise quite sharply. Okay. So thinking just about this year then, you know, we've obviously got some challenges, people costs, you know, being the biggest one. Do you, th- do you think that the pressure on business this year is going to ease or do you think this is the way for the whole of the year now? I guess I'd answer that by saying that I think 
there's a ton of variables that need to work their way through the economic system and economic and social system. And I, I would say that I, for one, I mean, I have predicted, you know, six of the last three recessions. So I probably classify myself more as a pragmatist than an optimist. But I would think that we're going to operate within a fairly narrow band. And a by a fairly narrow band, I mean, we just don't know what's going to happen. So I think there's going to be a lot of fluctuations within a narrow band. I mean, you only have to look at the NASDAQ, uh, the, the New York Stock Exchange over the last month. The markets don't know what to do. Uh, the Fed's easing, it's not easing, you know, so there's a high degree of uncertainty. So I, I, I kind of think that we're going to end up with a ton of movement in a very, very narrow band. But I think the one thing that I can be pretty sure of is that inflation's here to stay for 2023. And I'm probably think it's going to be here for 2024. So lots of movement, lots of noise, but I think inflation and, and the specter of stagflation really looms over all our businesses, actually. And what about, I mean, you know, we've got enough headwinds as it is. What about Brexit? Has that affected you and your clients' businesses greatly? Or it seems to be either does or it doesn't. It, you know, it seems to be a polar thing like everything else in life at the moment. Yeah, we don't move goods. So it has a tertiary effect on our customers, the tech sector. So basically what's happened is through Brexit is there's a talent reduction. So we've got, you know, we spoke of a shortage of capacity and capability in that market. It's exacerbated by Brexit further. And so basically Brexit itself has created more pressures on an already evident trend. But I think the real issue with Brexit is what it actually is. And, and I would characterize it as a rise in economic nationalization. And the effects of an economic nationalization can be quite, well, they're, they're, it's really unknown, but it, it's detrimental to my customers. Because let me give you an example. If you're a B2B software company, you know, if you look at Igor Ansoff's uh, matrix, one of the lower risk ways to grow your business is through what's called market development. So an example might be a, a UK company that decides it wants to geographically expand into North America. One of the problems with economic nationalization is that company could potentially run into Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, where it favors US multinationals and US corporations. So while the effects are tertiary, particularly around Brexit, they have some really wide-reaching ramifications. So market development as a growth strategy is still doable. It's just become a hell of a lot more complex. I mean, that's a prime interest to marketers because any good marketer should know all about Ansoff and should be on board their strategy when it becomes to, when things both are growing market share, but as you, also, as you say, to, to developing either markets or new products. So yeah, look, yeah. what other external factors are impacting your business and your client's business at the moment when they think about go to market? I, I think it's kind of, it's a little bit counterintuitive because we, we tend to concentrate in the business to business sector. So if you've reached product market fit in your business in the B2B enterprise space, you've probably done a couple of things over the last, and most of our customers are more than five years old. So over the last two or three years, particularly with free money, you've probably done a couple of things you maybe shouldn't have and you strayed off the main course. So what we're finding is as the as the recession and recessionary forces take hold, our business is actually improving, which is counterintuitive. But what we're finding as we double click into those businesses, Dom, is that we're finding that they've tended to stray a long way off the reason they were built, the reason they were made, and that is adversely affecting their profitability. So a lot of the, the external factors that are affecting it now are that if you're not concentrating on your core business, chances are you're in you're in a heap of hurt. This is a sort of accidental diversification because money's been cheap and hey, it's a good yeah. idea, why don't we do it? Rather 
focusing on your audience. Let's have a go. Let's have a go. Yeah. So we're dealing obviously with with the starting point of most market analysis at the moment in thinking about a pest and where we are. Politics can't escape that. What do you think government can do at the moment to support business that it's not doing? You mean the UK government? Yeah. Well, certainly the UK government, because that's where we are, but government in general, I suppose. Yeah. Well, if you take the UK government, at the moment, I think they're kind of in disarray. And I think their initiatives and what they can do are way too thinly spread. So I don't know that they've got a ton of fiscal dry powder to do anything that business needs. And and the net effect of that is a lot of our clients are actually investing overseas in North America, into Singapore, into Vietnam. They're investing overseas because the return is clearer, the path to return is clearer, and some of the surrounding business conditions suit that growth far better. So I think the first thing is that they're a bit thin, so calling for anything in particular that requires investment at the moment, I don't know that's going to have such a big impact. But I do know that I think the UK government needs to focus on rebranding the UK as something. And by that, I mean, it doesn't actually matter what it is. So whether it's the financial hub of the world, whether it's a manufacturing center like it was in the 50s and 60s, whether it's a tech hub, it doesn't matter what the answer is. I just feel that business needs a certainty around what the Westminster actually stands for. And so providing clarity in that vision then lets you focus your resource, focus your efforts on doing something good and well rather than doing a lot of things poorly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. what I think of super wise words. right now. Seems especially, especially important, kind of when you're all on your lonesome post Brexit. Like, if you're going to go out on your own, you have to stand for something. Like, the country needs a value yeah. proposition, right? Wow. Yeah. Well, it's okay. interesting. You look at the result of you look at the result of the Northern Ireland Protocol and the Westminster Agreement. You know, UK firms and British firms are now being encouraged to invest in Northern Ireland to get access to the single market. Mm. which is actually something they had quite some time ago. So, you know, whether you agree with Brexit or not and the politics of it, it is a form of economic nationalisation. So it has substantial effect on business. And we seem to be compounding it with economic polarisation by putting our corporation tax rates up by six whole percent and imagining it's going to do nothing to prevent inward investment. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, they're too thinly spread and they don't know what they stand for. So it's creating a high degree of uncertainty. So there you go. You heard it here first. The United Kingdom needs a new value proposition. Thank you to the big business agency. Boom. Peter is bang on there. What he said is not something we've heard so far in this resisting recession special. The UK business environment has changed dramatically, not just from Brexit, but post-COVID too. The pre-Socratic Greek philosopher Heraclitus had a handle on where we are right now. He said, no man ever steps in the same river twice. For it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. Whether you agree with what's happened or not, Brexit, lockdowns, we can't go back to doing what we did before. Everything's changed. The UK is not the same entity it once was, and the global financial market, well, that's different as well. So the government needs to devise a fresh strategy that supports business in this new environment. The government has to decide, what does the UK want to be? You know, Peter's right. The UK needs a rebrand. Thank you for listening so far. We hope you are enjoying the show. Now, we're working really hard to improve the quantity and the quality of our output. And if you want to make sure that you get our podcast first, all you need to do is register at marketingdifference.co.uk. We won't spam you. We'll just let you know when the episodes are coming live. We'd love it also if you were to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or even if you were just to tick the follow button. Thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of today's show.
This is just a quick reminder, you are listening to Marketing Trek and the Resisting Recession special, powered by Selby Anderson with me, Dom Hawes. Coming up on the podcast, Peter identifies why marketing needs to start communicating its value. He also tells me about the importance of being very, very focused in times of recession. But first, I wanted to ask Peter how he sees the role of marketing. And you know, he gave me a really fascinating answer. Take a listen to this. Let's get stuck into the business of marketing itself, the role of marketing as a practice. A lot of people in, in a separate podcast, I'm doing more and more pieces now on like what's marketing for, because I think marketing has lost its way as an industry. Mm. But as a, as a management consultant, someone who's highly specialized in helping tech companies with their go-to-market and their growth, what would you summarize the role of marketing in business as? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, so when I was a CEO... I would always invest heavily in sales and marketing, but I do have to admit to leaning into sales more than marketing. And so if there were budget cuts to be done and and things had to be adjusted, unfortunately, I would say that marketing was at the front of the queue for the cuts. And, And the reason was principally because they really didn't communicate the value as well as they could have. So, so, I think the role of marketing in 2023 is actually critical because there is three forces gathering and and gathering momentum simultaneously that add and lean into marketing needing to do an extremely good job and do it better. The first of those forces I would classify as digitization. And this is not just digitization in consumer, but it's digitization across business and government. So the whole world is digitizing and it needs a digital response. And marketing play a very significant role in that transformation. The second thing I mentioned, which was the rise of nationalization, I think that as folk rightly look to their own country to develop applications, develop products and shore up their own economies. I think marketing plays an incredibly important role in finessing and fine tuning messages and value propositions for specific markets or sectors or geographies. And the third thing I think is actually carryover from from post-COVID. The way people view their work has fundamentally changed and the relationship between work and the worker has fundamentally changed. And so I think if you look at working from home and and the the whole debate that's occurring there, a lot of the debate is created by the fact that many workers or many staff don't understand how they're measured. They don't understand how they add value to their business. And so we've seen a lot of debate, which I would classify around the concept of presenteeism, where if you're not sitting in your cubicle or at your desk, you're not doing any work. We've seen that the concept of presenteeism rear its head, but also then we're starting to see the beginnings of the resolution of that and how managers should communicate value to their staff. And I think marketing has an incredibly important role to play because as digitization, nationalization and remote working combine, there's a need to communicate more directly with the consumer, more directly with the person, almost like B2B, B2G and B2C all just got merged. So there's a direct-to-consumer piece of marketing that needs to occur, which will influence the workplace and influence the messaging. So it's important that marketing, from my perspective, realign its priorities to direct conversations with folk as consumers because those three forces are driving us that way if that makes sense yeah it does i think that's really interesting part of the debate we're having on this channel but in the other podcast is around how marketing hasn't been able to communicate value and i think with the you know the digitization of the marketing process and automation the temptation has been 
to measure short-term initiatives when actually delivering short-term value is the premise, is that that is the job of sales. Delivering medium to long-term value probably is the job of marketing. And I think that marketing has, has fallen into the trap of feeling like it needs to compete with sales when actually it's a different thing. I think it's interesting your observation also there that kind of those three things converging is going to create a completely new challenge that may play to the attention deficit of most marketers. <laughs> hey, it's new. We can do something about this. It's new and exciting. It's much more interesting than that old stuff. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I think it's this is exactly why we're doing this series, actually, to bring in people from outside the industry to say, hey, what do you see going on? And what should we all be thinking about? And I haven't heard that particular angle before. So I think that's really, really interesting. No, we, I've just mentioned long and short term. Do you think that the fact that we are either in or not, depending on who you believe, in recession changes the role of a marketer? Yeah, I do. If you take those three forces, then there's a role change for marketing anyway in the way it executes. But, but I think in a recession, marketers have a, traditionally been really poor at communicating the value, which is ironic given that's what they're set up to do to the customers. So but part of the issue is, is marketers need to begin talking about return on investment, need to begin talking about value. I'll give you an example. If you take Paranello's model from the early 90s, where CEOs basically buy for five reasons. So if, you, if you're selling or marketing to a large company, the ultimate decision maker will buy a solution based on only five reasons. The first one is they'll buy solutions if it helps their company increase their revenue. Second thing is they'll buy a solution if it helps their company reduce their costs. They'll buy if it simplifies their operations. They'll buy if it helps them acquire capacity and capability, and they will buy to stay compliant. So the role of marketing, in my mind, and, and what I've seen very successfully done, is where you map your value propositions to those five CEO objectives. You cascade them all the way up. And so what that does is it lets you discuss return on investment. It lets you discuss value and it links you directly to the five key objectives of business. So I think in a recession that becomes more critical and the clarity with which that's communicated becomes paramount. Boom. Peter, if there's one thing marketing could do to improve your business, what would it be? In 2023 and, and leading this business, I think the most important thing for, for marketing for us is to stay focused. We have a monthly pipeline review. We look at our business each month. And, and basically in those reviews, I'm regularly astounded at how far we look like going off track. And we're not a huge business. We're only going to turn over a million. So in a business that turns over 30, 50, 100, 200 million, the opportunity to get off track is really quite high. So I would think the biggest thing marketing can do is, is to stay focused. You know, we were built for a very specific problem that I've got 20 years experience solving. I don't really want to stray outside of that. So marketing's attention to detail around how we solve that problem and communicate our value is the single biggest gift they can give us. Yeah. Focus, focus, focus again, right? Niche down, niche down, niche down. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Thinking about marketing leadership then. If you're going to give advice to leaders in the marketing business this year, what, what would that be? I mean, we work a lot with in-house marketing teams, as, you, as you'd assume, and, and we, we usually go through a couple of things. The first thing I would, and we do recommend, is that you revisit your go-to-market strategy. So if you've been in business five years, you've had you know a long time to not be focused. And so revisiting your go-to-market and your growth strategies is probably the biggest piece of advice I could give everyone. Invariably... The go-to-market strategy is either unknown or it's assumed. 
And so making it, you know, explicitly reviewing it is a process that turns a lot of light bulbs on, which is really valuable. Second thing I'd suggest to them is communicate using ROI. So talk to your CEOs and your leadership teams and your peers about the value that you bring and communicate what value you can bring to the business and how you go get about that. The other thing is we get called in quite a lot to fix up failed campaigns and there's a couple of reasons for it. It wasn't executed properly in the first place. So we're finding a lot of problems with MarTech implementation and yeah. its inability to deliver and close the loop on what were initially very good value propositions or what was initially a very well um, themed campaign just fell over at the, at the finish line, which is which is really, really hard to watch, basically. And so I'd advise them to yeah. make sure their mark test up to scratch and to, to execute with precision. Keep it simple, stupid, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The level of complexity these days in marketing technology, you know, it's mad. It's mad. Basics done mm. well always win. Yeah, totally. Brilliant. Well, Peter, thank you very much indeed for your time. That, that was a gallop through. But thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are, and I hope our audience truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tom, and thanks to everyone. Bye. Well, that is the end of this episode, the end of the podcast for today. So thank you very much indeed to Peter for coming on the show. Peter, your insight has been really valuable. We've got loads of takeaways. Now, I've listed them all for you on the show notes at marketingdifference.co.uk, but I'm going to highlight just three now before I go. Number one, align marketing efforts with the five CEO objects to ensure marketing directly connected to the core objectives of the business. And to help you remember, those are increase revenue, reduce costs, simplify operations, acquire capacity and capability, and stay compliant. Secondly, develop clear and targeted value propositions for the specific markets, sectors, or geographies you're going into, taking into account the rise of economic nationalization and its impact on growth strategies. Be clear what you're trying to do, where and why. And finally, avoid accidental diversification. So focus on your core business. That's where your long-term profitability and growth are gonna come from. On next week's show, I speak to Sally Winter, who's the marketing director at Benefex. And Sally talks with great empathy and passion about the challenges people are facing during tough times like these. She tells me that employee household incomes are expected to drop by 6% in real terms this year alone. But despite all of these challenges, Sally believes marketing's role remains unchanged and tells me it's essential to understand the customer journey end to end. She stresses that brands must stay true to what's always worked for them rather than succumbing to short-term scrambles for leads because that might just compromise your long-term goals. You can hear that podcast for yourself next Thursday, so don't forget to register on marketingdifference.co.uk if you want to nudge when we go to air. Thanks very much indeed for watching and listening today, and we'll see you next week. Now, just before I go, I would like to tell you that you can find detailed show notes and sometimes extras at marketingdifference.co.uk. You can also register there to make sure you don't miss any important shows. And I'd also like to ask you a personal favour. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell a couple of your colleagues about us or maybe consider rating and reviewing this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's your call, of course, but I'd be grateful because it takes us around eight hours to make each show, but only around 30 seconds to review it. 
Marketing Trek is conceived and produced by Salby Anderson with creative support from One Fine Play. Nicola Fairley is executive producer, Connor Foley is the series producer, Kazra Ferruzio is the audio engineer and editor, and the episode is recorded at terminalstudios.co.uk. See ya! Thank you.